0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. John chapter 6. This is, um, well, let's just start here. At the top, at the top of your John chapter 6, if you have it, um, it says, mine, here's what mine says, Jesus feeds, and then fill in the blank for me, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Here's the problem. They entrusted uh, the headings, obviously, to a, a pastor or a preacher or some type, because you never trust a pastor with numbers. I mean, that's the reality. Because actually, in this particular book, um, and th- this is the only story other than the resurrection that's told in all four gospels. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is told all four places. Um, what we learn is is that there were way, way, way more um, than just 5,000. 5,000 was just the dudes who showed up. It didn't count the women and kids. And so there were thousands of There were a multitude. There were so many that nobody could actually count. And so we are talking about a substantial, substantial crowd. That's where we are. Um, And this particular section here in John chapter 6 is set between two really important um, teaching moments, discourses of Jesus. One is the one we've just been working through um, in John chapter five, where Jesus um, unashamedly, unabashedly, clearly claims to be God. He is saying, I am God in the human flesh. I have come from heaven to here uh, to bring the kingdom of God and to bring salvation to his people. This is John chapter five. It's what we just finished talking about getting Jesus right, the 3d glasses, all of that kind of stuff. This is what we. We just finished. What's coming in John chapter six is the uh, the uh, discourse on the bread of life, meaning just like uh, Jesus, me, just like uh, God uh, um, gave uh, manna to the people of Israel in the wilderness, Jesus is looking at the people of Israel and he's going, "I'm I'm that." I am the bread of life. I am the thing. I am provision for you so that you may live. That's what's coming in John chapter 6. So we have this miracle about bread dead in the middle of those two things. I am God. I'm the one who's a creator. I'm the one who's a provider. And I am the bread of life. I am the provision. John chapter 6 verse 1. After this, uh, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the 6th. Jesus went up the mountain there. He sat down with his disciples. uh, And from the other uh, narratives, we learn that Jesus is teaching. He's um, unfolding some things about the kingdom and about life with him. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these people may eat? He said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii, uh, just if you're a note taker or uh, uh, you're writing the margin of your Bible, that's eight months' worth of wages. That's what we're talking about. Take two-thirds of your annual salary. That's what we're saying. Two-thirds of the annual salary worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Hey, there's a boy here, he has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather out the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and 12, filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign they had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who's come into the world. Then, perceiving that uh, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Okay, so I want to just give you three words, and we'll have some thoughts underneath those three words. Here's the first word the first word is opportunity. Look back in verse two. A large crowd was following him because they saw uh, the signs that he was doing on the sick. And again, in verse uh, uh, five, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd, he had sat down, he was teaching, he was talking about the kingdom, all this kind of stuff, opportunity. Here's why I bring that up. Because curiosity presents open doors for ministry. There will be people this week who come uh, because they uh, see what's going on up here and they'll be curious and it will be opportunities um, for ministry. Uh, there are people in your workplace because of you handle the things that you do the way that you do, they will be curious about your life. Um, they see how you interact with your spouse, how you talk about your kids. You're not just telling the, oh my gosh, my kids are driving me crazy stories. You're telling stories about um, what cool kids you have or what, um, uh, what they've done or what they're participating. They, they will It will create curiosity of them curiosity presents open doors for ministry we don't always see it that way i i don't know about you i got a little bit of philip in me oh jesus what are you doing here with these people I, i have at times this is my confession i have at times concerned myself more with the requirements or the responses of these people than i have with their curiosity requirements. Well, if you come, right? I mean, you got to meet these things and you better pull yourself over here and make sure that this is in order. Like I've got that in me or responses. Well, they're just here. Here's how that sounds. They're just here for the show. They're just here to see the fireworks. Uh, They don't really care about the content. They're just going to get what they can get. Um, and then they will move on uh, from here. I concern myself with those things. Um, that's not how Jesus approaches it. Here's, here's where I'm critiqued this week. Don't let your cynicism squash another person's curiosity. That's me. Curiosity presents open doors for ministry. It may be true that they're only here for the fireworks, but it's no less an opportunity. There may be people at your workplace, on the ball field, uh, um, in the interactions that you have, maybe at the grocery store or wherever you may step foot in addition to stuff that's going to happen here in this building this week at BBS where um, they, they are there for the show to get what they can get or whatever it may be. It's still an opportunity for ministry. Don't let your cynicism, don't let my cent trend, don't let your cynicism squash other people's curiosity. Second part is under this ministry opportunities, but they're not solely, they are not solely for the curious. This is the part right here um, where Jesus says, uh, he said this to test Philip. He said this to test him. Jesus tests him now. Why pick on Philip? Did Phil, Jesus like, uh, went to any money? Now Philip's from around the area, right? And so he's trying to um, help him with. He, he's trying to draw Philip out. Hey, you're familiar with the area. What are we gonna do here? Uh, Two thirds of my salary wouldn't cut this man. No, no, we're not doing anything. Send them away. Um, th- there, because this occurs in all four gospels we have some insights um into kind of the things that they were feeling down in verse 9 it says uh, there's a um Andrew says there's a boy here he's got five barley loaves and two fishes but what are they for so many there is a moment where Jesus will test you he will ask you to step into something he will set an opportunity before you and you will feel completely inadequate for that moment nobody amen that one but it's true all I got is five barley loaves and two fish. What am I doing here? It's not even mine. I stole it from a kid. <laughs> I mean, I literally took the kid's lunchbox. That's what we got, Jesus. There is so much out in front of me. There is no way that I can be up for the challenge. I am inadequate. In Luke, Luke's telling of the story in Luke chapter 9, um, the, the way that one of the disciples responds, it's almost like this. Jesus, do you have any idea about the logistics that goes in, like that goes into something like this? I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Come on, Jesus, work this out. Some of us feel inadequate. Some of us feel completely overwhelmed by the task at hand. I know that you want me to do this. There is no... I, it is a wave that is going to wash over me, and I will go tumbling. Um, in Mark's particular telling, Jesus had drawn them away. They had been important, doing important, busy ministry. Jesus had drawn them away, it says, so that they could rest. Can we just say amen, that there is a God in the heavens who cares that every so often we get some rest? Amen. Thank you for that. Everybody was down for that. Inadequacy, no. Take a nap, I'm down, Yes. He cares, though. He cares. He draws them away. And then the crowd stalled. They followed them. And out of their weariness, Jesus says, hey, let's do something about this. There are times when we feel inadequate, times when we feel overwhelmed, times when we are absolutely exhausted, and still, still the ministry opportunity is out there in front of us. And that, in itself, is a test. It's a test. He's testing Philip. He tests, though, not because he's mean. He's not being capricious. He tests for the sake of our learning. He wants Philip to believe something. He wants Philip to embrace that he is the bread of life, where he's going. He's heard him talk about being God, and he's going to talk about being the bread of life. He wants Philip to learn this. Um, My wife... Um, Let me just brag on her for a second. Some of you know she's pursuing her second doctorate because one doctorate wasn't enough. You know what I mean? Hard to keep up with the gal. But um, one of the things that we've been dialoguing about is some of the reading that she's done uh, revolving uh, around education. And uh, in in the book, one of the books that she had to read was Make It Stick. And in the book, the authors um, kind of help us understand what Jesus has known all along. These, like, it it is better. So, So some of us grew up in college life, for instance, where you had like a midterm and a final and that was that. Um, that is not the best way to learn. Educational research shows that's not the best way to learn. It's all these like mini tests or mini quizzes all along the way that um, actually induces better learning. And furthermore, if you take the quiz and then like bomb it and then study and then retake it, you actually retain that knowledge better. So all along, Jesus has been doing it right and the university system has been doing it wrong. Amen? Yeah, okay, that's not great. (laughs) It's even better doing that, taking the quiz and then failing and then studying and then retaking is better than just reading and rereading material. And so all along, these little micro tests are what help learning the most. The tests all along the way help the learning the most. Does this sound like maybe Jesus knows what he's doing? He's testing Philip. He tests us. He, well, let me just, if you don't like the idea of a God who tests you, you don't like the idea of the God of the Bible. He consistently, puts people in a position so that they learn. Because he knows that along the way, all these little microtests, all along the way, all these little things that we encounter along the way, all of these places where we get to stretch our faith and maybe even fail, but then learn and move from Those things are things that we will not and cannot learn apart from those environments. He wants to see you change so much that he's willing to stick you in those places, let you fail, and then bring you to a different place as a result. That's how much he loves you. If you don't like that, though, then you are positioning yourself as a consumer. And if you position yourself in that way, it doesn't take very long for you to become either anxious or bored. And listen, that rubs off on the generation that follows you. You will raise your kids in the same way. Elizabeth Elliott, um, who married Jim Elliott, went to uh, Ecuador um, and was ultimately martyred there, it said this in one of her books. Are you dreading something that is coming next? Anybody feel that way? <laughs> I'm like, Are you dreading something that's coming next? The way to prepare for that, like I'm worried about the test that's coming. The way to prepare for that is simply to do what you have to do now. What is it that I need to do right now? Because it's that that prepares me uh, for what is coming. Um, On each of these, I just want to include kind of a kingdom reality that Jesus uh, uh, outlays for us. Here's the kingdom reality regarding opportunity, that we are invited to participate in his plan. Look back at verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Can we rejoice that there is a God in heaven who has a plan? He has a plan. He knows, what he got. well, I don't know what you're up to, God. It doesn't matter if I, necessarily if I know what he's up to. The main thing is he knows what he's up to. We are invited to participate in his plan. He has a plan and our participation is far, far, far better than our absence. And if you ask the question, well, I mean, if he has a plan, he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Why? Why should I step into this? Uh, well you will miss out on participating with him in what he's doing. You will miss out on the transformation that you experience as you walk with him through what he's doing. You will miss out on seeing miracles. If Philip had been like, I don't know, I'm out. Two-thirds of my salary, I'm gone. See ya. He would have missed out on the miracle that Jesus was about to do. And you will miss out on the deepening relationships between yourself and God and yourself and others. Because when we have these kinds of shared experiences... Those shared experiences are the soil in which intimacy grows, both between us and the Lord, as well as us and one another. This is the kingdom reality. Second word is provision. Look at verse eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Let's just pause right here. Uh, Barley loaves are like uh, hard biscuits. They were the poor man's bread. Okay. Okay. They were not tasty. Don't think sourdough or something yummy like that. No, 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 no. None of that stuff that comes hot at the Italian restaurants. None of that stuff. This is just like bricks that are chewable mostly. Um, And then when it says two fish, okay, two fish, what are we talking about here? Um, Think more sardines. It's salted fish. Some of you are like, oh, I love sardines. Great. That's great for both of you. (laughs) Even the baby's crying about you loving sardines, all right? So don't, don't, don't think about, I mean, that's, that's the way that we need to think about. It. This is a very, very small, very minor kind of snack offering is what we're talking about. This, this is the boy's very meager rations. One of his disciples, Andrew, okay, uh, there's a boy here. It's five barley loaves, two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000. He then took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Just a couple of comments here. Um, you'll note, that, I, I don't know if it was faith. It was The boy's just walking around with his little snack bag. He's like, Jesus? Oh, hey, uh, hey will you tell him I got some stuff? He, what, like, I don't know if it was faith. I don't know if he felt a sense of loss. Uh, I guess I'll give this. I don't know. I, I don't know how it worked out in the in the kid's emotions. I, I know this. Um, and I wish the little ones were still in the room because this is for them, for us too. You're never too little to offer something to Jesus. And as long as you are offering what you have, the offering is never too little. You're never too little. Some of you think, well, I haven't been walking with Jesus very long. You're never too young, too little in the faith to offer to Jesus what you're going to offer to And some of you are like, well, I, I don't have much to give. Like five barley loaves and two fish actually sounds like five-star restaurant stuff for me. You can never offer too little. There's a different uh, story in a, um, a couple of different gospels where Jesus is sitting at the temple and all these uh, like mid-level managers and, and up like uh, middle class and higher are walking in and they're making a big show of how much they're giving um, at the temple, making sure that the coins clanged into the thing so that everybody would go, oh, that guy gave a lot. And there was a widow who walked up with two little small pennies, two mites, dropped it in. Jesus is like, stop the presses, people, hold up. You wanna to tick tock something, tick-tock this right here because that lady gave everything that she could give. She has honored the Lord more than all the rest of these folks who gave out of their abundance. you're never too little to offer, and as long as you're offering what you have, you can never offer too little. Um, there are unpredictable outcomes when we do so. sometimes it's miraculous, sometimes not. Here's the other part though, and again, back here in verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, he given thanks, he distributed those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. The offering that the kid made was blessed, but it was also broken. And those two things so often go together, church family. Those two things so often go together where, God, I want you to do something with this. He goes, great, I can put my blessing on it, but first it will be broken. Oh, whoa, 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 hold up. Like, I don't like that part. Yes, it will be broken. How else do you distribute bread? How else do you hand out fish? Bread has to be broken. Fish has to be torn. And it's in that, it's in that that the blessing comes. Not only for you, but also for everybody around you. Here's the kingdom reality I want to set up for us here that when it comes to life with Jesus and life in the kingdom, our availability is of far greater value than our capability. Jesus, I got five loaves and two fish. I can work with that. Jesus, I'm all out of energy, but I'm giving you the, the only five minutes I have left. I can work with that. Jesus, I don't have much prayer to pray here. I'm setting myself before you to say, "This is all I got today. Good, 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 good. I can work with that. Our availability is of far greater value than our capability. George McDonald was the um, primary influencer of C.S. Lewis. He said this: "What God may here require, excuse me, what God may hereafter require of you." you must not give yourself the least trouble about. Let's just pause right there. If we believe that God had a plan, how much of the life that we spend worrying would be spent differently? What God may hear after require you miss, uh you must not give yourself the least trouble about. Everything he gives you to do, you must do as well as you can. And that is the best possible preparation. Best possible preparation for what he may want to do next. If people would do what they have to do, they would always find themselves ready for what came next. You want to know what's coming next. You want to know what it's going to cost you. You know what's... We don't necessarily have insight into any of that. Just do what you know you're supposed to do now. Because the step that I'm supposed to take five days from now depends on the step that I take today. The the provision that will come down the road depends on how I steward what is in front of me today. Made a very personal comment earlier. Let me make another one. About five or six years ago, and I honestly don't remember how long, but it's been a while. Uh, Our our family goes to family camp and um, the leader challenges us. He was talking to specifically dads and he said, hey, what if your day began with open hands to God? And this is what he said. And you just said to God, God, whatever you want from me today, my hands are open. You can have it gladly. And whatever you want for me today, I will receive it gladly. What if your day began like that? Now, I would be a liar to say, That I've prayed that every day. But I pray it most days. My day begins with open hands to say, "God, whatever you want from me, I will gladly give." You don't take away stuff that I need; you just don't. And whatever you want for me, I will gladly receive, because you give good gifts. You give good gifts to your kids. What would be different about your office? The presentation you have, the interview that's coming, the, um, the work that's due Thursday, the project you're trying to get done, the relationship you're struggling through. What would be different about your day if, to use the old word that we sung earlier, if you would consecrate yourself like that? God, I got five loaves and a couple of sardines. But I'm telling you, if this is what you want, This is what you can have, whatever you want from me and whatever you want for me. Last word, abundance. Look at verse 11. He distributed them as they received, So also the fish as as they wanted. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, when they had eaten their fill, (laughs) when they had eaten their fill, nobody goes home hungry from this deal. He told his disciples, gathered up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So nobody went home hungry. Jesus made sure that the people had eaten their fill, and he did not begrudge them that. Why is that important to say? Because some of us live in a world where we think that it's a zero-sum game. If God blesses you, then that means I'm losing out on some blessing. If God blesses the people over in this section over here, I'm really sorry for the people in this section. Sorry. Sorry. There's There's just not enough. But the world in which we live, that is, God's world, is not a zero-sum game. Biblically, we've seen this all throughout. Um, Cain and Abel, Abel's offering is received, Cain's is not. Um, Cain gets all fired up about this, and God looks at him and goes, hey, 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 hey. You can do well here. You can do, don't let your face be uh, falling down. Like, you can do well here. Cain did not do well. Esau, Jacob. Jacob steals the, the birthright. Esau comes into his dad. It's like, is there not a second blessing? He lived in a world where there wasn't enough. In God's world, there is enough. There is. Um, students, you interacted with the story of the prodigal son. Um, all week last week. Two weeks ago, I guess yeah. sound. What was the deal with the older, with the older brother? Look! You haven't even given me a goat. The world in which we live, God's world, is not a zero-sum game. Because God blesses someone, it doesn't mean that he can't bless you as well as if he's going to run short on blessings. That's just not the reality. Nobody goes home goes home hungry. We do not follow the God who is stingy. He is creative, he is powerful, and he is generous. So much so, look at verse 13. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. There was more at the end than what began. There was more at the end than there was at the beginning. Five little barley loaves and a couple of sardines. They don't take up a basket in and of themselves. They picked up 12 whole baskets. Twelve baskets. Pointing to, again, the bread of life. This is the conversation that's coming. Jesus is going to outlay this for the people. This is what's coming. But pointing to the bread of life. He's looking at the Jewish people and going, hey, 12 baskets. How many tribes were there in the Old Testament? Oh, yeah, 12. And just like God provided for them, look at what I am doing for you. 12 baskets, 12 tribes. But then he didn't just set that out there for kind of the people. He brings it down personally because... Excuse me. Because how many disciples were there? There were twelve. How many of them doubted the situation? Uh, twelve. So he grabs Philip and is like, "How's that two-thirds annual salary working out for you now, pal?" There's enough. Church family, there's enough. In God's world, there is enough. It was more at the end than at the beginning. Here's the kingdom reality. God is more than enough to satisfy us and to share with others. And please don't miss that hand. Please don't miss that hand. We don't want to be consumers. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. God entrusts things to us in order that we may steward them for the sake of the good news um, spreading around the world. The question is, will I offer myself up to him? God is more than enough to satisfy us and, and. To share that satisfaction with others. Well, if this is the Jesus that you get, right? Then, man, you want him on your team. You're like, hey, Major League uh, Baseball drafts is happening right now. Put Jesus in. Like, I need that guy on my team here. And this is what they said, verse 14. The people saw the sign that he'd done. They're like, Phew, this is indeed the prophet. He's coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew. There's a reason why you can't come by force and make him king, do you know why? he's already a king. he's already the king. Chapter five, I am God, Jesus said. chapter six, what's coming? demonstrated by this, this miracle here in the middle? Chapter six, I am the bread of life. I am the one who creates chapter Five. I am the one who gives his life for creation, chapter six. I am the provider, chapter five. I am the provision for the deepest needs of your life and soul and, and all that is in you. I am the provision for that, chapter six. Provider and provision. This Is Jesus. We will not come and make him be king about it. We we can't do anything. He's already the king. We surrender to that. We offer ourselves to that. We come open-handed to him to say, God, Jesus, you you, you are the one who's in charge here, not me. And so my hands are open to you. And that's how we want to end. We'll sing a song just a minute, just simply saying, yes, Lord. But, but I want you, before we get there, I want you to think about this question. Like, if my hands were open, if my hands were open, what would that be like? What, what would I be scared to lose? What would I be terrified to entrust to the God who made it all? What would I, what would I be scared to get from him? Like, what can he put in my hands? I'd be like, no, 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 I don't want that. What would he entrust to you? Open hands to Jesus, our King. We say yes to him. Let's pray together. Father, we're going to take a moment here and just try to marinate in what you've said to us. And so as we do so, I ask that you would... Um, Put put that, whatever that is for each individual in the room, put that in the forefront of our consciousness right now. For those who are thinkers, plant it. Plant it in their thoughts. For those who feel before they think, God, stick it in their emotions. Whatever that is for us, would you set it in the forefront of who we are right now? And Father, I simply, from this section over here to over there and the folks watching online, I, I pray for the kind of faith. Pray for the kind of faith that will be open handed toward you. We'll consistently entrust ourselves to you. Make us more like Jesus as we respond. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.